it's understanding that yes, you need processes, but I think for me, it is what are the right ones so you remain flexible as we're looking forward and leading through rapid growth. You've got to keep an open mind that what you did just a couple months ago might not be good enough anymore. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, welcome to episode 22 of Manufacturing Happy Hour. Today, we are featuring Jim Quinn, the CEO of Plethora, and we cover quite a bit of ground on this episode. Everything from leading a high growth company to a lot of operations tactics. Now, to give you some quick background, Plethora is a company that helps manufacturers produce and optimize designs of custom parts for manufacturability. They do this through their own novel software and CAD files provided by the manufacturers. The description doesn't nearly do enough justice to the great things they're doing over there, so it's a perfect time for me to segue into the three things you can expect from today's episode. First, we're going to talk about Plethora, how and why they do what they do, plus definitions around things like manufacturing as a service and design for manufacturability that are critical to their business. Second, we talk about growth. As I mentioned, Plethora was a startup. They're more of a high-growth company right now, so we talk about that transition. We cover what to look for in a location when a company is expanding. We get into an emerging topic in manufacturing right now, which is reshoring. We'll talk a little bit about that. Then we also talk about some of the tough conversations that take place when your company is growing and going through a transition like this. Jim provides a lot of great examples and stories to back these points up. And the final thing we cover is a lot of operations and leadership strategy. Jim is what I would call an operations rock star with a ton of experience with a number of different companies. So we go over tactical operations strategies, supply chain advice, plus some of his best lessons and resources he's picked up during his career. Now, obviously, we have a full episode in front of us, but if you want to learn more about Plethora after this, you can go to plethora.com for their official website and to get started working with them, or you can go to LinkedIn. They've got a presence there as well, or if you want a consolidated area for all of the resources mentioned in this episode, you can just go to the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 22 for everything. Before we get rolling, I know a lot of our longtime listeners have already done this, but if you're new to the show and you're enjoying what you're hearing, please consider leaving a five-star rating and review over at Apple Podcasts. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes, where it's very simple to leave that five-star rating. It's just a quick click of the five-star button on the iTunes page. But if you want to take a little extra time, those reviews really help. Even if it's as short as one sentence, you can do it on your iPhone or on your PC where you have iTunes. Both of those are options. Again, that's manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes to leave a rating and review. And if you do, just know that we appreciate you so much here at Manufacturing Happy Hour. And with that, let's not waste any more time getting to today's episode. We're going to have a quick cocktail talk with Jim before we dive into the main content for the day. Let's get going. 
Well, I have to ask, I know it's early in the afternoon, so you don't have the beverage in hand, but if we were drinking, what you I, I've heard you have this signature gimlet that you make. Can you describe that to me really quickly? Yeah, I love this gimlet. I actually learned to make it um, at a bartending class in San Francisco, and it is a cucumber basil gimlet. And so the difference here is, right, normally your gimlet will have um, some lime in it, it's definitely got the simple sugar, but this one takes it to more of a, a refreshing. So you take fresh mm -hmm. cucumber, fresh basil, a little bit of simple sugar, and you kind of grind that up, muddle it in there, and it gives it more of an earthy feel, and it's it's absolutely delicious. So you, you kind of skip out on the lime, um, and you just have a really nice, it's great to start a dinner with, and then follow that right in with some wine. It's phenomenal. Nice, nice. Well, you sound like someone that would know what they're doing if we were having a business dinner, that's for sure. So that, uh, I, I actually had something not too different from that this past weekend. Uh, a friend was making up some uh, strawberry, not strawberry, watermelon, basil, uh, margaritas, actually. So um, I think basil is a very underrated ingredient when it comes to cocktails. So anytime I, uh, I can get my hands on something like that, I'm all about it. So... Yeah, with the heat here in Georgia, I might have to try that watermelon and basil together. That could be pretty good. Yeah, and I wish I had the recipe. I'm sure you can find a recipe for it pretty easily. I'm, I'm still, I'm a beer guy number one, wine guy number two, and cocktails number three. So, yeah. um, but I need to up my cocktail game. But that gimlet is might be the inspiration to do that. Yeah, um, it's definitely worth it. You should try it out. Excellent. Well, I could talk about cocktails all day, but we are here to talk about manufacturing, and I want to make sure I give you a proper introduction before we get too far. So our guest today is an operations aficionado that has made a career out of scaling and optimizing global supply chains. From leading strategic sourcing and operations at companies like Apple, Gap, and Fitbit, he's no stranger to navigating through rapid growth and he is now the president and CEO of Plethora, a company that provides flexible manufacturing as a service options for making custom parts in as fast as three days. Let's welcome Jim Quinn to Manufacturing Happy Hour. It's great to have you here, Jim. Thanks, Chris. Great to be here. And uh, I always like to start off, you know, you kind of got a taste of it with the cocktail talk there. But the first question we really need to ask on Manufacturing Happy Hour is, you know, let's say you and I are hanging out at a local bar here in San Francisco. You mentioned you used to frequent uh, Mauna Loa, um, I believe is how it's called. Yeah, Mauna Loa. Yeah. Mauna, Mauna Loa. I need, yeah. to, I need to check that spot out. But you mentioned the pool table over there. Good spot yep. to shoot pool after work. So let's say, you know, you're hanging out there. You know the bartender's there. And one day the bartenders are finally like, you know, Jim, we, we, we've seen you here before. I know you work at this place called Plethora, but what, what does Plethora do? How do you describe Plethora as if you're describing it to someone at a bar? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I, I also sometimes say, hey, how do, you know, how do you explain it to my parents? Mm. Uh, right, because they know. Yes. And uh, so, you know, here what we do at Plethora is we take novel software that we've developed in-house and apply it to manufacturing practices to really help bridge the labor gap uh, that we're seeing in trade skills. So we're able to take a 3D CAD file, uh, analyze it, and be able to tell a design engineer exactly is it manufacturable or not, give them recommendations on how they should change their design, both visually and in text, so they can go back and optimize that for manufacturability for cost and quality. Once we have that done, we're able to automatically quote it online. No human is, is touching this at this point in time, so it's instant. We're shortening the lead time of innovation here. 
And to further that, once we get that order in-house, we're able to take more novel software and actually program the CNC machines with the G code from that CAD file. So what we're really doing here is automating the process to, to leverage our workforce more. And is that, is that what is meant by manufacturing as a service in that case where you're going from that CAD file and you're given that feedback, hey, is it manufacturable? Can we do it cheaper? Things along those lines and then taking it through production. Is that the same thing or does, does manufacturing as a service dive a little deeper beyond that? Manufacturing as a service dives deeper. Coming from my days managing machine shops and outsourcing, one of the things we want to do here is ensure that it's a true partnership between mm -hmm. us and our customers. So we don't want to stop at just having a really nice front end for the customer to order parts on. Um, and then it's completely hands off. We want to make sure that we are scaling our business and setting them up for success. Mm -hmm. So it goes from, yes, um, DFM on the front end, quoting, making a really in efficient uh, manufacturing center in our factory. But beyond that, how do we streamline our supply chain for them? Mm. We extend this back and quality always goes back into the supply chain for us. How do we enable our suppliers to access data to, you know, obviously non-critical data, but you mm -hmm. know, how, do we, mm -hmm. how do we forecast with them? And so it becomes a partnership across the supply chain to do that. Uh, some of the things we do with our customers um, that you might not get from other manufacturers is we're okay if they tell us, hey, we want to produce 10,000 of these parts this year. Mm -hmm. We don't have to produce it all at once to get a good price, a competitive price. We can do batch production. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, what we're able to do is if they have to change their design later in the year, mm -hmm. we're okay with that. It doesn't have to yeah. be the same design. And so that's really where we say it's manufacturing as a service. We're here to help them innovate and drive their business forward. One one thing that stuck out in the way you described that question is when when you first look at plethora.com, it looks like something that could be like a one-off part or the way you're describing it, it's really more of a partnership where you're talking about scaling up, being there for someone just beyond like a single part. Can you describe, I mean, are you are most of the clients you're working with doing multiple iterations of something or, you, or do you do one-off type work as well, just so folks know how to work with you? Yeah, we do a lot of one-off. And, and okay. really how we were founded was one-off, quick-turn prototyping. And as I came in, uh, I wanted to say, how do we support them in the full product life cycle? Because one mm -hmm. of the things that's challenging for a company, an OEM, to go and say, okay, now I've got this prototype. Now I have to take the time and the effort to transition that to a production partner. I've got to start over on learning quality. They've now got to come along the learning curve. So with our technology, we've been able to scale it efficiently to support one-off productions through every single step of the design cycle through end of life of the product. And and I think we've, we have a how it's made type of element on this show. And you've done a great job of describing how this process works, how the life cycle works. Can you put it in context of a story with someone you worked with recently? No need to name names, but, you know, something that would really illustrate that for our audience. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect example here is we have a, a customer in the medical space uh, mm -hmm. working on prototypes. And a lot of times at the very beginning, they're trying to optimize the design for the full assembly. Mm -hmm. They don't even know necessarily the type of material that they want to use in final production. So what we've been able to do is produce one-off products of all the different materials that they would want to use. Mm -hmm. We're able to test those, make changes, mm -hmm. get them back, and within a matter of just a couple of weeks, have multiple iterations on that and start to finalize the design on that actual material that they're going to use. 
because then they're able to do that before they go into a main assembly build. So now they can pair up everything and how they're gonna design it, what materials are gonna to work together. And it overall shortens about one design cycle for them because they don't have to build one full of all the different types of materials, then go mm -hmm. back and build it again. And so we've been able to do that and optimize it. And then once it gets into production, uh, they are able to look at it and say, okay, do we have a design failure? Luckily that you know hasn't happened. Uh, mm -hmm. but they can look at it and say, hey, do we have a design failure? Do we need to change this part? Mm -hmm. And by servicing the full product life cycle, they can see that design failure. We can prototype it and get it to them in three days. They can test it. And then within a week, they've got production parts. And because we're doing batch production, they don't have to worry about excess and obsolete materials because of a, a field failure. So another question I have on this is, I mean, you're, this is, in many ways, this is old school manufacturing. You're doing CNC, you're doing machining. How long did this process used to take? Like when someone would have to go through those steps and, and based on what you've shortened it to today? Yeah. You know, depending on the complexity of the part that you're doing, it can take up to 40 weeks. If you look at, at DFM alone, mm -hmm. right? Um, traditionally, your engineer would fully complete their design, send it out to multiple manufacturers, and it could take three weeks to get multiple PowerPoint presentations back. Then they have to go through all those presentations, figure mm -hmm. out which do I want to do, and then they got to combine them all together. So three weeks just for that, you get it in a matter of seconds with us. Uh, then you have to, once you combine it all together, you have to go out and get a quote. A quote could take two weeks. Mm -hmm. You know, here it's instant. So just in that first part, of the process, you take five weeks and you turn it into a matter of seconds. And so then you go into production and you've got all of your design cycles that you need to go through. And depending on the company, you know, it can take four five weeks just to get hardware back and then they have to assemble and then they have to test and we can get it back within a week. So that's where we're really shortening. We're cutting a design cycle because of our speed in hardware production by a third. I was going to say, so you mentioned it could take up to 40 weeks to start, and you're saying you've cut this, you know, what, that st strikes me as the long end of the pole. But when it's you say the long it, end of the pole, yeah. if you look at, you know, when I was on the other side at a Fitbit or, you know, an Apple, and you look at what's your development cycle, um, how long for a concept build? Well, you generally try and plan it where you're somewhere right around the eight to 10 weeks for a full design cycle and testing. And the majority of that is hardware production, right? Mm -hmm. Is getting the components because you can do your build in a week, right? You can do your testing in one to two weeks. So you've got, you know, eight weeks out there that is waiting to get DFM, waiting to get quotes and waiting to get parts produced. And we can do all of that within a week. So if you take just one design cycle right there and then say you've got an extra three weeks, you've more than cut your time in half. And, and I've got one more question before I get into some personal questions around your career and some of the growth that, that we're seeing at Plethora right now. Um, kind of back to that conversation with the bartender conversation with your parents. I know most manufacturing leaders listening to this show are probably familiar with terms like DFM and things like that. But you described when we first talked, you have kind of like three core businesses, auto quote, auto DFM and auto cam. Can you once again, kind of describe those as if we're having that Thanksgiving dinner type of conversation, just so anyone that might be on the marketing side or not as familiar with, with some of the technical terms is, is keeping up with us? Yeah. So auto DFM, this is auto design for manufacturability. Mm -hmm. This is where you are analyzing 
the part that's going to be made, the design, to make sure that when it gets put inside of a CNC machine, all the tools and the cutting can actually produce that part. So that's, that's the first step in the process is that design for manufacturability. The second part of that is auto quote. That is, mm -hmm. I have a manufacturable part. How am I going to produce it? So coming up with a manufacturing strategy, knowing how much your material is going to cost, knowing how long it's going to take you to run that part, developing the auto quote, second step in the process. And then one that people are probably most unfamiliar with mm -hmm. is, is AutoCAM, because that is an internal process uh, of a manufacturer, <laughs> right? And so AutoCAM, camming, is the actual process of writing the code, software mm -hmm. code, uh, that is G-code, that goes to the CNC machine. And that G-code tells the machine exactly how to move those tools, and a tool look at it as a drill bit, a really sharp, really big drill bit. And it tells it how fast to move, how deep to go, where to move. And all that code goes in and tells the machine exactly how to make that part that was designed. And mm -hmm. our software, the, the AutoCam, can look at a 3D model and actually program the machine. So, so you have the, the three steps of the process. There. We'll be right back, right after a word from our sponsor. This episode of Manufacturing Happy Hour is sponsored by Audible. Audible is the world's largest electronic library of audiobooks and spoken word entertainment. And because you listening to this amazing, amazing podcast, we're giving you one free audiobook when you sign up for your first trial of Audible. You can do that by going to audibletrial.com slash happyhourpod. Now, why would you want to do such a thing? Well, let's be honest. These podcasts only last about 30 minutes to an hour, but audiobooks give you much more listening pleasure beyond that. So when you wrap up your episode of Manufacturing Happy Hour, you can tune in to the audiobook of your choosing on Audible. You get a new credit every month, so that's a new book a month. And for me, that's where I get my leadership books. That's where I get my non-leadership books. That's where I get my rock and roll books. That's where I get my fiction Anything I want to read, typically, I'm going to Audible to get it. Again, you can claim your free audiobook by going to audibletrial.com slash happyhourpod. And now, let's get back to today's episode. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking us through kind of the nuts and bolts of that process. You mentioned, you know, you were having to get parts when you were doing things at Fitbit and at other points in your career. I'm going to switch gears here a little bit. The next question I have for you is more personal. You've had a, an illustrious career so far. You've been at no shortage of really cool companies. So why Plethora and why now? What's got you excited about this place? Thanks. Yeah, I've been pretty blessed to uh, to have worked at some really cool, innovative companies. And Plethora was, was, you know, I always tell people, if I would have known about Plethora at those other companies, I would have been using Plethora. And mm -hmm. the really the way that it excites me is you know, when I – one of my first career moves was working at Applied Materials, uh, semiconductor manufacturer, um, and I managed machine shops and sheet metal shops for mm -hmm. them. And so I got involved there and really liked being able to, to build something and see something. Mm -hmm. And then through my career, I, I moved to other companies where it was a lot of outsourcing. Um, spending a lot of time overseas uh, at manufacturers in machine shops, but you know, in Asia or Europe, wherever it might be. 
and, and then working on technology and going into the startup world and technology. So what really interested me about Plethora was that it took me back to producing something and handing a part over to a customer and, and helping them do something else. Mm-hmm. I, was in, I was really enthralled with manufacturing in the U.S., coming from Michigan and growing up in Michigan, mm-hmm. uh, you know, being a big part of that and, and wanting to bring production back to the U.S., and, and also, it's just that, that joining of technology and hardware that we definitely need to do. And so bringing all those together, it was almost like a full circle in, in my career, starting at Applied Materials and, and then bringing it all together. Yeah. And I'm interested to get into some of your supply chain experience, too, because I'll be honest, I'm surprised I haven't talked about operations as much on this show. And you bring just killer experience in that space. And um, there's no better spot to learn about managing a tight supply chain than the semiconductor industry. I feel like I'm I'm in the uh, thick of it out here in the Bay Area. So it's certainly a good spot to cut your teeth early on. Yeah, Applied Materials was a was a great place to to cut my teeth there, and starting at starting at a, a large company, right? I mean, when I was there, they were doing ninety five percent of all semiconductor manufacturing equipment, and mm-hmm. I, I was first based in Austin, Texas, and then California. And the great thing about working there is knowing the processes. I mean, with you know at the time Intel with Copy Exact, where every single part needs to be the same down to the gold plating mm-hmm. on the screw. Yep. And, and so you have to be right and you have to be mm-hmm. right all the time. And, and the, the fluctuation that the semiconductor industry sees um, with you know, the bullwhip effect of you know, some consumer demand changes here has a huge impact farther mm-hmm. down the supply chain. Uh, making sure that you had a very flexible supply chain, that you had suppliers that could scale up and scale down. So, so understanding that and, and managing that through the process there was great. And then being able to parlay that over into managing suppliers in Asia um, and understanding the difficulties with lead times, uh, mm-hmm. having more safety stock of inventory, uh, understanding that you know processes aren't done the same. And mm-hmm. so supply chain has had its day, you know. And when I first mm-hmm. started out, it was it was coming out. It wasn't always at the forefront. I mean, there was there was never a chief supply chain officer at a yeah. company. And and so now, you know, executives are seeing the importance of supply chain and now bringing it here and being a core part of domestic manufacturing and ensuring that we show and we we develop a really good supply chain here in, in the States to support mm-hmm. customers is really critical for us. You know, I'm, I'm curious with having seen and led supply chain at so many different spots you know what's one of the most common challenges you see and how do you work through that because i'm sure there's some operations folks that are listening to this episode that are you know trying to pull some tactical info from it so maybe you know maybe what's a common thing you've seen in a way that even when you've gone to a new company been able to quickly address it when you jump in somewhere new one of the things i always focus on is fair and transparent partnerships with your supply Mm -hmm. Um, there's always mistakes that happen. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. that's just part of supply chain, part of manufacturing, yeah. and, it's, and it's how you overcome them. And if you're managing your suppliers in a way and partnering with them, that they know you're going to take accountability for mistakes that are on your side, but you're mm-hmm. going to hold them accountable for mistakes on their side while working with them, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that that's what solves a lot of the issues and you can overcome a lot of challenges. You need suppliers that can scale with you. I've been in a lot of mm-hmm. companies that, that scale. I've been in a lot of companies that, you know, have, have tough times, have to scale down and then ramp back up and having a supplier that's, that's a true partner with you both in, yes, they want the business, but you're, you're on the same track of what you're trying to do mm-hmm. and you have the same goals. Uh, really helps. So understanding your suppliers, not just from their technical capabilities, but mm-hmm. what is the management philosophy of that company? And do you have the same philosophy and the same, I guess, respect for what you're trying to go after so that you can have those tough conversations and come out both successful on the other side? I think my next question might might feed into back to our conversation around um, around plethora you know, how do you look at a company and say, yes, this company is a company that's going to be able to scale with me? Or how can you tell a company is ready to scale or ready for rapid growth? It's a really good question. Um, I wish I had a silver bullet answer for it. Sure. Um, You know, I think a lot of it is I've been fortunate to go across many different industries and be able to take learnings from all those different industries. And when I look at a company, I first look at at their core, are they focusing on a need that's not being addressed um, in the US? And here, Plethora was looking at a need from, yes, people are moving to online, yes, uh, automation is gonna be key, but at its core, it wasn't just about online. Um, It was addressing a problem from reshoring most likely mm-hmm. that have to happen mm-hmm. um, at some point in time, um, getting supply chains more efficient, ensuring that we have the trade skills that, that we need. And customers are wanting to turn parts and turn designs quicker. And they're, they're not expecting to have a, you know, the typical prototype that I used to buy was, you know, it wasn't even form fit function, right? It's okay, it looks like the part, but can it hit the specifications? And so looking at what Plethora is able to do by doing the quick turn prototyping with tolerances mm-hmm. from all my different industries that I've been in, seeing that that's getting tighter and tighter and, and just becomes you know, an entry level to, to be in the game, uh, that's really what, what pulled me in and said, okay, this, this company has something here. Um, the core technology is coming at it from a different perspective which creates a competitive advantage. And having those two things, a competitive advantage and a core need, really tells me, okay, there's, there's something here we can scale. You know, I'm, I'm curious, you're, you are expanding right now at Plethora. I think you mentioned it's something like 2X year over year growth along those lines. I'll, I'll let you speak to the specific numbers, but you've expanded so much that you've also added an operation in Marietta, Georgia, where you are right now. Why Georgia? And, and you know, what's, what's on the horizon for you guys? How is, how is the expansion going? Yeah, so we've grown 2X year over year for the last two years. Uh, mm-hmm. Amidst everything going on this year, we're having a, a banner year. Um, and so when we really looked at um, the operations of the company and, and where was core talent coming from, mm. uh, we, we wanted to look at it and say, okay, San Francisco, Bay Area, amazing technology development there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's, let's maintain technology. Let's continue to do R&D. And then as we looked at trade skills, and where did it make sense to expand both from just the cost of space, uh, access to trade schools, 
we really looked all around the country, uh, Midwest, East Coast, um, Southwest, and, and landed on Marietta, Georgia. And we went from a 16,000 square foot facility in downtown San Francisco to a 57,000 square foot facility in Marietta, Georgia. And the, the key thing about Marietta, which is just outside of Atlanta, for those who don't know, is there is a great business environment here. Uh, mm -hmm. Government is, is very friendly as far as getting you ingrained with the business network here and making sure that you are going to be successful coming here. Uh, the introductions to the different suppliers that we might need here, uh, taking us to the different trade schools that are in the area that we can recruit from and, and now even, you know, partner with them on, on internships and, and working with their instructors. And then the other great thing here is Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech has an amazing advanced manufacturing program here. Hmm. And so there's a lot of talent here that both helps us in the physical manufacturing, but also the, the technology development that we're going after. And that's a really helpful answer because it mirrors a lot of what you mentioned before, where it's you're talking about with Plethora, it wasn't just having that online presence, online availability, it was having the talent um, being able to turn those parts quicker when you're looking at size of the facility, looking at making sure talent's available through trade schools or universities, you're checking all those boxes. Is there anything else, just so that people are learning, getting some tools in their own toolbox, what else have you been, you've been doing to manage the rapid growth at Plethora right now? Or maybe what are you doing to lead through that rapid growth as the CEO? Yeah, processes. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, and, I, and I, when I mentioned applied materials and starting there and, and understanding what processes are needed to run a company, it, it really helps. And, you know, one of the first things I did when I came in was say, okay, we got to get ISO 9001. We got to get documents mm -hmm. in here. Uh, we just implemented a new ERP system. So it's, it's understanding that, yes, you need processes, but I think for me, it is what are the right ones so you remain flexible? Don't just put in a bunch of processes because you want to have everything documented and know what you're doing every single moment of the day. That's good if it still allows you to be innovative going forward. Mm -hmm. So that's always what is the next thing as we're looking forward and leading through rapid growth. You've got to keep an open mind that what you did just a couple months ago might not be good enough anymore. And, yeah. and you know you can't get bought into, well, I designed that. So now I need to keep it. Uh, mm -hmm. you've, you've always got to look at that. And that's that culture side. It's the culture side of going from we're going to do whatever we can to get it out um, and so be it to we're going to do everything we can do to get it out. But everybody has to be moving in the same direction and setting up that culture of, yes, we have more departments now, but we mm -hmm. are all one company marching towards the one goal of ensuring our customers are successful. And that for me is the most important thing as you're leading through rapid growth is to keep the mind of the customer at the forefront. And if you, if you are successful with your customer, if you are transparent with your customer and work with them in a true partnership, that is going to help you be successful. There was a lot in that answer <laughs> processes. No, and that's a good thing. Processes and having the right process. I thought processes was huge. You know, being able to lead the culture through, you know, what, and I think we talked about this, like the difference between a startup and going from like a high growth company, like being able to lead the culture through that and then being able to keep that customer centricity 
during that process. So, yeah. and you mentioned departments, you know, when, when you go from startup to rapid growth, when you kind of move, you, you graduate from that startup stage for lack of a better word, what are the core areas where you're looking for processes? Cause I'm sure we're not, we, we've talked a lot about manufacturing so far, and I know it goes beyond supply chain and manufacturing processes. There's sales, there's marketing. What are the, what are the first priority areas you look at when it comes to establishing some of those processes? Yeah. One of the, one of the first outside of operations was sales coming in and saying, what is the sales strategy? How do we structure it? Are we having the right conversations with the customers? And so that's the one thing that we've definitely been evolving is bringing in some more marketing, uh, bringing in more technical salespeople. And I think that's the one thing that sets us apart as, mm -hmm. as a company is our salespeople come from technical skill sets, whether they're mechanical engineers They've sold machine tools in the past. We have salespeople that were former machinists. Mm -hmm. And we make sure that they have the skill sets they need. They have the technical skills. Let's mentor them on the, on the sales skills if they need it and ensure that they are customer focused. So that was one of the, the key things was setting up the right communication, the right processes for our salespeople to be successful. Outside of that, you know, then you're then you're developing your GNA, your your HR, and your recruiting. Which, for a hardware manufacturing technology company, can be pretty challenging for an HR professional. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. You know, so, <laughs> so making sure that they're supported and and they have the right partnerships with trade schools uh, and and universities. Yeah, you know, so you're because you're trying to blend those those two skill sets together. And, and so that was one of the biggest things that we did was ensuring that we had the, the right recruiting structure for that. So last question before we move to, uh, I guess, kind of another segue. I imagine there are some growing pains during this process. That would be, I mean, that's, that's all, it's almost obvious saying that there are going to be growing pains. How do you navigate through the tough conversations that you have? What are the tough conversations that comes up, come up and without getting too personal, if you can give me an example of one, because I know that's, if I'm a manufacturing leader and I'm listening to this, it's like, wow, this sounds like kind of a transformation in my company. company. This is going to be uncomfortable, but if I don't have these conversations, we're never going to get to where we need to go. How do you navigate through that? Yeah, it's, it is tough. Uh, you know, you're, you're coming into a company, you're, you're transforming the company. And, you know, some of those conversations are, like I mentioned, on processes or the way we were doing something in the past that someone is, you know, they were the first one to put it in place. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it is theirs and ensuring them and talking to them and trying to communicate to say, look, it's not wrong. Mm -hmm. You were doing what you needed to do and it was right for the time. Mm -hmm. so let's take that and evolve that. Um, that is a very difficult conversation to have. Uh, yeah. And and so those are some of the the things that you have. And and some people are willing to to go with it, and and some aren't. And so one thing I always try and do is I try, you know, to, mm -hmm. to have those conversations in the best of my ability. Uh, you know, my responsibility is to is for everybody, every employee in the company, and and all of their family. So I take that on every day. And I say, okay, I need to transform this. It's not, yes, there are the investors, but you are supporting the livelihood of your employees, their spouses, their the partners, their children, whoever it might be that they need to take care of. And so every day you've got to come in with that responsibility and knowing that the decisions you're making and the conversations that you're having 
are to support that. And that's kind of what, as a leader, gets me through and keeps me mm-hmm. focused on having those. So some of the, the challenges we've had have been, you know, I would say large CapEx decisions. Uh, yeah. Before I came in, we had purchased some machines that we thought were going to take us to, to the next level. When I came in, they weren't being used uh, because we hadn't integrated them with our technology yet. Um, and it was some decisions that were made and, and people love those machines. Mm-hmm. But I had to make the decision to say, yeah, you might love them, but it's yeah. not getting us to where we have. You know, and that seems mm-hmm. like it would be you know, uh, an easy conversation, but people love a specific brand of machine, right? And right. machinists are, this is my machine. I love working on this machine. And so to have to go to them and say, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm getting rid of that machine that you've been working on for the last mm-hmm. two years and you've invested all this time in um, is, is challenging. And, but ensuring that there is a path forward uh, and, and explaining the reasons and trying to be transparent with why you're making those decisions. Uh, that was, that was some of the tough decisions we had to make. Well, as, as someone that works in the automation space with programmable logic controllers, programmable automation controllers, I understand the, uh, emotional attachment people can have to hardware that might seem completely illogical to anyone else. But when you're on the shop floor, when you're in the plant, like, that's been your thing that's been keeping something going. You know the ins and outs of that piece of equipment, that uh, controller. So, no, it, it, it definitely resonates. I, 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 I hear where you're coming from. Knowing the audience for this show, most of them get that too. <laughs> so, um, you know, one other comment that came up earlier, and I, I took a quick look at this, uh, was reshoring. You mentioned that was another part of things that need to be addressed. And it's it's a big topic right now, especially um, you know, we're recording this in July 2020. We're still in the middle of a pandemic. Um, an article that was on your website, what the rise of reshoring means for your bottom line. I'd love you to, you know, go into reshoring a little bit and how it plays into your strategy at Plethora. Yeah, it's it's a critical conversation that needs to be had, is being had. Uh, you know, there's a, with the pandemic going on and the disruptions in the international supply chains. Uh, you know, the U.S. government is looking at reshoring. Uh, mm-hmm. and had a lot of conversations and working with customers on reshoring. And so, as you're looking at this, if you know, as I said, when I when I left Applied Materials in the mm-hmm. early 2000s, uh, they were just looking at at going overseas. And now, a lot of semiconductor manufacturing is is overseas. A lot of mm-hmm. it, right, is overseas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, looking at it and saying, how do we build? the supply chain here in the US. And so a lot of reshoring is not simply in my mind about bringing the big manufacturing companies back here. It is how do you ensure that you have the infrastructure in your sub-tier suppliers to Mm -hmm. reshore, right? How do you have the skill sets for plant managers to be Mm -hmm. able to run a plant and understand what it is to run a plant? So for me and, and what we're trying to get out there is, look, yes, costs are rising globally. Um, Asian costs, you know, and it's great for them, right? They have more disposable income. Um, Mm -hmm. More people are working. Uh, And so that's all good. But as we look at your total landed cost, right, and your total cost of ownership, you adding quality into that, what does that really look like? And that gap is getting smaller and smaller with U.S. manufacturing. So how do we as a company, and that's what we aim to do at Plethora, is how do we ensure that we are a part of that supply chain that other large companies can come back here and reshore. Mm-hmm. And so that's why we work to develop our sub-tier suppliers to ensure that they're ready for that as well. 
Yeah. And that's you're you're echoing. This seems to be the starting point is what I'm hearing, where it's like getting the tier suppliers, having that reshored. Like, obviously, we're still going to have manufacturing plants abroad in other countries. Um, but what's what's maybe one of the biggest misperceptions around reshoring that you'd like to clear up while, while we have you on the mic on a podcast? <laughs> yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of notion out there that we can't be competitive, right? Um, that we can't be competitive globally. And, and we can be. You have to continually look to innovate your manufacturing operations, figure out where to take waste out of the supply chain in, in mm-hmm. every step of the way. And if we all work together as one overall supply chain, we can reshore because mm-hmm. you've got to look not just at that, that price that you put down on your purchase order. You've got to look at the extra inventory that you're carrying. You've got to look at the cost of waste, of excess and obsolete that you have to have, uh, the tariffs that, that you might have to pay bringing those in. So when you really take a look at it, there, there is a way to reshore and, and make us all successful. And um, it's, it's here. It's now. It's not. I think that's the other big uh, misnomer is that the ability to reshore and, and be competitive is, is in the future. Now, mm-hmm. the future is now and, and we can do it now. Love that answer. And for the manufacturing leaders that are listening to this show, I will have a link to that article in the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com. All the resources we mentioned in this episode, you can you can find there. You know, as as we get towards the end of the interview, Jim, I, I, I one thing I found fascinating about your career is that you're you kind of have the modern career in a lot of ways where you haven't stuck around somewhere for you know, 20, 30 years, but you've gone to a number of different spots. You've made an impact and you've taken those lessons and you've extrapolated those to the next place that you've been. What's one of the best pieces of career advice or leadership advice that you've ever received? My first, my first real job out of college was, um, from a former military leader. Okay. And he said, when you walk into a room, and by the way, he looked exactly like George Bush Sr. I really thought <laughs> when I walked in, he was George Bush Sr. But he said, if you walk into a room and you don't know who's going to lead that meeting after five minutes and everybody's there, it's your time to lead. And, mm. and I really took that not as, okay, just bull people over, but make sure that you are doing the work necessary to move the company forward if no one else is. And, and so that has just transferred through all of my, my roles for me is looking at it and saying, is there something that I could do more? Is there a way in, in my role, even as an individual contributor, that I can be a leader? And that has really just stuck with me throughout my entire career. That is killer advice. I've never quite heard it phrased that way before. You know, there are plenty, plenty of advice I've heard on leading meetings and how to come prepared and things along those lines. But for those listening out there, after five minutes, if no one is leading, look at that as an opportunity to uh, take the reins and guide it where the conversation needs to go. Do you have any like tactical like books or things that have helped you out, whether it's from a supply chain? I'd love to hear one that's helped you in a supply chain standpoint, but maybe just one that has really impacted your career and the way you lead. You know, a lot of the books I read um, are really, well, I haven't been able to read that many recently. I'll be honest with that. <laughs> it honest sounds like you've been busy. <laughs> it sounds like you've been busy over the past couple of years. Yeah. You know, a lot of them, I go back and I still read some of my Apex books. From some mm, uh, really, yeah, I really do. I have them, I read them, um, and and I find them fascinating. Um, 
you know, there's there's a book that is not is not business related whatsoever. Um, and it, it seems odd that I would bring this up, but it but it's actually Buddhism, plain and simple is the title of the book. All right. And and I take it from not a, a religious side, but in there it talks about removing things that cause issues. Uh, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing this right, but it's it's dukkha. And and so okay. they they refer to it as if you are in a cart and you're going down a road and all of a sudden the wheel starts skipping and starts bumping and you look at that wheel and there's a rock stuck in it. That, focusing on that and saying, okay, I'm going to remove that. And, and you get that, that waste out, that, that uncomfort out. And if you look at a business and you look at it from that perspective and you say, okay, I am going to focus on the overall business, but there's pieces in here that I can take out that's going to make the ride of the company smoother. That's mm-hmm. one of the things that I, that I took out of that for business. And I, and I always kind of think about that as, okay, what's, what's the next thing that's causing discomfort in the business? I love it. I've, I try to draw parallels, whether it's from sports, whether it's from rock and roll, whatever it is. I've taken some powerful lessons, um, whether it's leadership or business or whichever from other spots. So Buddhism is a perfectly valid spot to be pulling some good business lessons from. And you put that very succinctly in terms of removing things that cause obstacles. You know, as, as we get towards the end here, Jim, I wanted to ask, is there anything you wish I would have asked you that I haven't yet? Yeah, you know, that in of itself is a great <laughs> question. And I think the the one thing is, how do you bring different leaders together? Mm. Uh, you know, and so as you've seen with my career, I come from many different industries and I'm not at one industry for 20 years. And so one of the things that I think is really critical as a leader is not getting stuck in hiring just for the specific talent of the industry and the company you're in, but hiring people that can be flexible, that have the core skills, right, Mm -hmm. of leadership and can learn quickly. And so whenever I'm interviewing someone, it is really, do they have the the drive to learn? Um, It always worries me when when I hear someone say, I'm, you know, I'm an expert, I I know everything. Well, none of us know everything. Sure. And, yeah. and so interviewing from the perspective of you might not have the perfect fit, but mm-hmm. if you've got the drive. If you've got the, the want, I'd say, to continually learn, mm-hmm. and be able to be transparent and take ownership for your mistakes. Right. And, and be able to sit up in front and say, hey, I'm raising my hand. That, that was my fault. I'm going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. We're going to get through this. Bringing those types of teams together create a really high-performing team. Um, I look at I graduated from Michigan State, and mm-hmm. you know, looking at the basketball teams that we've had, the ability uh, to bring in players that work really well together, uh, you know, he's done a great job, and and that is what has made the Michigan State basketball team as good as it is. And that's that's really how I try and take plethora and and I. I challenge anybody to go out and say, hey, look, when you're looking at bringing teams together, when you're forming a new leadership team, um, take, a, take a second look at how you're forming that team and, and see if you're doing it in the, the most successful way you can. 
You know, it sounds like it's finding people that are the right cultural fit. And a lot of it seems based around humility as well, whether that's being able to admit mistakes, being able to say, hey, I'm, I'm still willing to learn. I've got the drive. I don't know everything. I want to pick up something new. And, and that basketball parallel is great. I'm a Marquette Golden Eagle grad, so I don't quite have the same illustrious yeah, basketball yeah. program that Michigan State has. But uh, we've we've fought our way through the tournament well enough. For, yeah. So. Yeah. It's it humble. It's it's you're right. Yeah. It's it's checking the ego at the door and saying, look, I'm here for the company. I'm here for my employees. Let's focus on that. Let's focus on the customer and, and let's drive forward together. Awesome. Well, I love the insights that you've brought today. Great conversation from start to finish. You know, I know that in addition to the new facility and the expansion you have going on right now, I know there's other big news for a plethora that you mentioned that you know you got your itar registration what else is on the horizon for you guys right now yeah we've we've got some some technology coming and so beyond itar we've we've definitely got some great um technology coming down the pipeline i can't really talk about it too much but i am super super excited by what's coming um and you know the other thing is we're continuing to expand uh our operations Uh, we're going to be taking on larger parts Um, customers have have continually said hey Get larger machines, bring on more, and and we can give you more. So it's really you know more of the same, which is innovation and customer support. Well, I'm excited to see the things that arise for you guys. I'll be keeping my audience updated as uh, as new things come out the door for Plethora. If you are interested in working with Plethora, you can find them at plethora.com, and you can access everything we talked about in the show notes at manufacturinghappyhour.com. And in the meantime, Jim, wanted to thank you for taking the time to jump on the show today. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, Chris. Had a great time. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening. And a big thanks to Jim and the gang over at Plethora for making this interview possible. If you want to learn more about Plethora or if you want to start working with them, you can go to plethora.com to get rolling, or you can go to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 22 for the show notes to this episode, where we have links to Plethora as well as all the other resources discussed. That includes Jim's article on reshoring. It also includes his uh, signature gimlet that he described at the, uh, the start of the episode. I've included a recipe for, I'm not sure if it's the exact one, but it's probably very similar for a basil and cucumber gimlet on there. You can always find uh, the manufacturing resources and the non-manufacturing resources at our show notes pages. Anyway, before we wrap up for this week, just a couple quick announcements. First, another thank you to our sponsor for this episode, Audible. Audible is the world's largest library for audiobooks and spoken word entertainment, and it's the spot where I pretty much get all of my audiobooks. In fact, the Buddhism Plain and Simple book that Jim recommended. That's on Audible, as well as all the leadership books that I include in my newsletters or other ones that have come up on this show. Since you listen to this show, you can get a free Audible book when you start your trial at audibletrial.com slash happyhourpod. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash happyhourpod. And as always, thank you, Audible, for sponsoring these episodes. If you'd like to leave a rating and review if you thought this episode and the show, if you think it's all fantastic, we'd love to hear that feedback over at iTunes and Apple Podcasts. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes to leave your rating and review. doesn't need to be long. It can be short and sweet, and any feedback helps continuing to make the show better for you. 
And with that, that's all we have for this week. As always, thanks for tuning in. Until next time, stay innovative, stay thirsty, and we'll catch you back here on Manufacturing Happy Hour real soon. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.